Here's the good news ahead of us on Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Jesus said, I've told you that I am. Don't say that again. We'll all fall down. Therefore, you seek me, let these go. Jesus stands between the soldiers and his disciples, just like he'll stand between you and judgment. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place, gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing, Hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your love. It's time to grow in grace through a study in John's Gospel. Today, Pastor Ed Ray brings us a message based on chapter 18. Now, if you were about to be arrested for a crime you didn't commit, you might be tempted to resist, or at the very least, speak out in such a way that displayed your innocence. But when Jesus was arrested, he didn't put up a fight, and he had complete control of the situation. Here's Pastor Ed with a look at the betrayal and arrest of Christ. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward, stepped out in front of the 12 or the 11, and said to them, whom are you seeking? Now, there's a question. There's a question for all of us. Whom are you seeking in your life? Of course, they're looking for him specifically. But again, Jesus knew all what was going to happen, so he's not a caught off guard. This is, he's in complete control of his own destiny. The only person that's ever lived that was in absolute control of his own destiny, every part of it. So there's, this reminds me of another guy who I read in the past before I was a believer. And his name was William Ernest Henley, and he wrote a poem. You've probably not read it, and you haven't missed anything. It's called Invictus. But he was of the opinion that his whole life was controlled by him. He didn't need God, kind of a thing. And he said, out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be, whatever gods may be, for my unconquerable soul. Confident guy. I have not winced or cried aloud under the budgeoning of chance. My head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond the place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menacing of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. I'm not afraid of God. I don't need God. No matter how straight the gate, that's a direct contradiction to what Jesus said, I am the gate. No matter how straight the gate, how charged the punishment on the scroll, the scroll of God's records of a person, his own sins, he said, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Wow. People today often mistakenly think that they don't need God, and they'll say that out loud. Most eventually realize that we don't have complete freedom. None of us do. We all have limits. I, I know it's very popular to say today, you can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. I'm sorry you probably will never play Major League Baseball. What chromosomes 
they entrap us, but they also release us. You got mom and dad, 46 chromosomes. What are you going to do? You can't get another set. Can't exchange them. Some people are amazingly talented. You know, I, I get a chuckle out of watching the TV shows of talents, you know, American Idol and The Voice, etc. And I, always, I only want to watch it in the first couple of weeks where people are just trying out because most of them are absolutely horrible and nobody's told them. <laughs> they just, they weren't given the talent. There's nothing wrong with that, but you shouldn't go on national TV to prove it to everybody watching. We all have limits. We have limits by where we were born, what kind of education we have or don't have. You're, you're born in the middle of South America. Your opportunities are different than they are in Southern California. So there's limits on all of us. He's not the only one, of course, with those kind of ideas. People used to direct me towards Albert Schweitzer. He was a great humanitarian, a doctor that went to Africa to bring medicine in the late 1800s. And people think he's a Christian because he wrote about the Bible. He's not. His book was entitled The Quest for the Historical Jesus. He wasn't looking for the real Jesus. He didn't believe the Bible. He thought he could come up with a better idea, his idea of God. He was judging God. That's a problem. People who judge the Bible, that's a problem. See, the Bible judges me, it judges us. I don't judge the Bible, I don't judge God. He judges me, someday I'll stand before him. We all will. So, Schweitzer in his book said, quote, Jesus lays hold of the wheel of the world to set it moving on that last revolution which was to bring all ordinary history to a close. He's talking about when Jesus came to earth. He, was, he came at a certain time, and it was all set up by God. It refused to turn, this wheel. He was talking about the cross. And he throws himself upon it. Jesus throws himself upon it. And then it does turn and crushes him. Instead of bringing in the eschatological conditions, He's destroyed himself. Eschatological means God's plan for end times. So he said, Jesus didn't make it. He came the, at the wrong time, did the wrong things, and this whole thing we're watching, his arrest and the crucifixion, the cruelty of it and everything, was a great embarrassment to God. <laughs> Henry and Schweitzer were both deluded. They're so self-confident, so arrogant, that they missed the simple truth that they were created by God. And they were created to do certain things that neither one of them accomplished. And they missed the significance of life by failing to ask God what he wanted them to do. Don't make the same mistake. I did for the first 26 years of my life. And by the grace of God, finally I said, God, what do you want me to do? <laughs> that was a rude awakening not what I want to do. It's what you want me to do. You created me for something. What is it? And all of a sudden, significance started coming into my life where I felt I was doing what I was supposed to do. Second part. That's the garden, now the I am. And Jesus answered him when they said, whom are you seeking? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. The word he is in italics because the translators thought it would help us understand it. But whenever you add something to the Bible, you're in trouble. 
And so what he said was the great I am, ego emi in Greek, Yahweh in Hebrew. This was what the burning bush said back to Moses when Moses said, why, why are, are you here? And God gives him marching order. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him, let my people go. And Moses said, it won't work. He won't believe. Who shall I tell him? Sent me. And God's speaking from the bushes. I am. I am. What? Go tell him I am. Sent you. I am now in the present. I always have been in the past. And I always will be in the future. I am. On top of that, I am whatever you need. You need a savior. He is your savior. He is, I am a savior. You need a rescuer. You need a redeemer. You need someone to lead your life. He is the great shepherd. So all these statements that he made come out now in the garden. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with him. He heard this. So Jesus had already said seven times in the Gospel of John that he was something. This is the accumulation of all that, one giant I am that blows 600 troops backwards. In John 6.35, he said, I am the bread of life. Spiritually, whatever you need, whatever kind of nourishment you need, I'm the source. John 8.12, I am the light of the world, moral, ethical understanding of life. John 10.7, I am the door of the sheep. John 10.11, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. What he's doing here. John 11.25, I am the resurrection I have the power to raise your dead body out of a grave, and it will happen. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Definite article there in front of her. He didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way. That's kind of narrow, Pastor. It is very narrow. He said, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine, the source of nourishment. To the disciples, as he walked on the water and he comes and gets in the boat, they're all freaked out. And he said to them, don't be afraid. I am. I am? Yeah. I am your savior. I'm your lifesaver. In John 8, 52, the Jews were fighting with him. And Jesus said, I saw, they said, we are sons of Abraham. Jesus said, I saw Abraham's day. And they said, you're not even 50 years old. What do you mean you saw Abraham? He said, before Abraham was, I am. Wow. Then, when he said to them, I am, they do back and fell to the ground. So change that picture in your mind of, you know, 10 guys stumbling and falling backwards. And all of a sudden it's 600 plus temple guards and the priest. And everybody's on their keister, okay? Suddenly, 
back now. Oh, must have slipped. Wow, how'd they get down here? <laughs> and he asked them again, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus. Now, th there's humor here. I'm sorry. I just can't just leave this alone. Okay, so what do Roman legionnaires look like? Think about them. You've seen the movies, right? And they're all in big brass chest plates and skirts. What's wrong with that picture? <laughs> and so they're carrying this little clay container full of olive oil with a, a stem coming out of it that's lit. That's their flashlights. And all of them, he says, I am. And they go back and oh, they're trying to pat their skirts out. That's what you get for wearing skirts, you guys. Come on. Oh, I'm going to get cards and letters on that one for sure. Jesus of Nazareth. They said, we're looking for Jesus. Well, you found him, Bubba. Verse 8. Jesus said, I've told you that I am. Don't say that again. We'll all fall down. Therefore, you seek me, let these go. Jesus stands between the soldiers and his disciples just like he'll stand between you and judgment. He's deflecting. He doesn't want any of them taken because he had said that, that it wouldn't happen. Of those, verse 9, he spoke of those you gave me, I've lost none. He protected the disciples from being arrested. We're partway through a study in John 18 and the arrest of Jesus. Here's Pastor Ed Ray with the rest of our message on growing grace. Last section of the sword. This is a great section too. Peter, loving Peter, okay. Peter, having his sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. I wonder what he was trying to cut off. First of all, I think he might be a bad shot. But the servant's name was Malchus. Okay, now you're standing in front of somebody, and let's assume for a minute that Peter is right-handed, and he has to cut off the left ear. What? No, no, he has to cut off Malchus's right ear, so he has to go up over his head to cut off his ear, unless he's running away. Pastor, you're not suggesting that Peter chased down a servant and cut off his ear. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just giving you possibilities. But we always, I always like to make fun of Peter, but he's the only one that said, I will die protecting you, Lord. And so in the middle of 600 soldiers, he pulls out a sword. So there's something else here. In John 18, 26, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of whom's ear Peter cut off, said, didn't I see you in the garden? Okay, so this man whose ear he cut off, his right ear, I don't know, did it flop on the ground? It doesn't say Jesus said, hand me that, will you? <laughs> he just touches it and he heals it. What's with the ear? Why the ear? I'm glad you asked. It turns out that high priests have to show their ear when they're being ordained as the high priest. In Aaron's case, it's written this way, Exodus 9.20, and you shall kill a ram and take some of the blood and put it 
on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons and on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot. Why? Whatever you hear, whatever you lay your hand to, wherever you go, may it be blessed of God. So he loses his ear. And every time he's in the presence of this ceremony, he's going to think, how did my ear get back on? It's still bloody, but it feels fine. What's going on here? So it doesn't say that Malchus became a believer, but I'm thinking we'll see him in heaven. He's, I say, well, how'd you come here? I hear, oh yeah, I remember. The ear, verse 12. Last verse. Then the detachment of troops and the captains and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Again, three other gospels, all of them talking about the arrest. None of them say they're bound. They bound him except John. Why? John, he's 90, 95 years old, 96 years old. And he's writing this from Ephesus. And it's 60 years after the event. But he remembers that he was bound. I said a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, that some have said the Bible is the story of two cities, the city of Jerusalem and the city of Babylon. Charles Dickens used that line. The tale of two cities to him were London and Paris. But it's also the location of the Garden of Gethsemane, and some think it's where the Garden of Eden was. So two bookends again, the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. Now he talks about the binding, because on the same mountain, two mountains, the story in the Bible, the Mount of Sinai, where the law was given, and the New Testament, Mount Moriah, or as we know it, Calvary. It was on Mount Moriah that Abraham, 2,000 years before this event, took his son because God said, I want you to take your son and go to a mountain and I'll show you, named Moriah. And when you get there, you shall take your son up and build an altar and put wood on it and bind your son to the altar and you shall sacrifice him then, there, your only son. And Abraham did it. And Isaac's bowed there on the altar and he raises his knife and God says, stop. Now I know that you will obey me. Look over there. And there was a lamb caught in a thicket. He said, God will provide a lamb. God provided a lamb for a man. God provided a lamb for a nation at Passover when the angel passed over everyone's house that had blood of a lamb on it. And God provided a lamb for the world. Jesus, the lamb who came to take away the sins of the world. So who's in control here? Jesus is in control because he's chosen to pay the ultimate price for you and for me. 
He was fully resigned to do what Father God and him and the Holy Spirit had agreed to eons before from the foundations of the earth. And don't ask me to explain that because I just go, wow. So I've learned to be careful to not fight against certain storms in my life that happen. Even after I've prayed, they're taking place because I believe this lesson, that God is control in my life and he's in control in your life. And when you look out at the nightly news and it just seems like everything is chaos, remember the garden. It was precisely what God wanted to happen. Did it look terrible? Yeah. Did Jesus end up dying? Yes. But it was the perfect will of God for us so you and I can spend eternity with him. Let me close with a, a story that I was trying to find an illustration for the ear because that one really caught me, you know, the high priest ear and everything. And uh, I came across a great story. Uh, Steve Hennings in Huntley, Illinois, was a Christian. Um, but when he was two years old, he got spinal meningitis. Actually, it came through his ear, a station tube, got into his spinal system over his brain and everything. And at two years old, they thought he was going to die. And it was World War II time. And they were trying to get enough penicillin for him, and they couldn't get enough penicillin, but they saved his life, but he lost his hearing in both ears. Six decades, he couldn't hear, never heard. Life went on. He married a wonderful Christian woman, and they had children, but he'd never heard anything. Until just a couple of years ago, an ocular transplant was recommended to him by his physician, looked into it, and it's a little computerized ship that goes behind your ear and embedded and it connects directly to the auditory nerve so all the messed up station tube and tympanic membrane all that stuff didn't matter because it goes directly into your brain basically and a quarter of a million people in the world have it successfully he went through the operation it failed and he was greatly disappointed his wife had prayed he'd prayed and then after a few weeks, another doctor took over and put him on a high regimen of, of antibiotics, and it turned out it was affection again. And when they got it toned down enough, he asked him to come in and let him adjust it. They use a little transmitter, and, and they adjust everything electronically inside. And so he's doing that, and, he's do, and he said, bring your wife. And so his wife named Pat, and she's sitting there praying while the doctor's trying to find some tone that he can hear. He can't hear anything. He says, I don't understand. This should work. And finally, he says to the wife, Pat, would you come over and whisper into your husband's ear? And she walked over. She leaned over and took his head in her hands, and she said, I love you. And he broke into tears, gushing down his face. Why? Because the first words he ever heard from a human being was from his wife saying that she loved him. Someday, you will stand before Jesus Christ and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And don't be surprised if he leans over and he says, I love you. No sweeter words could be heard and received than that. And on that encouraging note, 
we'll draw this edition of Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray to a close. We've been in John chapter 18 today. For a CD copy of today's message, just call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or you can listen online at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find an archive of past radio programs there too, which comes in handy should you miss a message on the radio. Go to thepackinghouse.org and look for our radio page. You know, it takes a team to bring Grow and Grace to you, and we look to our listeners to help make all of this possible. We have an exciting resource to tell you about. It's True Spirituality by Francis Schaeffer. After serving the Lord as a pastor for many years, Francis began to wonder if Christianity really made a difference in people's lives. True spirituality, you could say, is the result of his effort to re-examine his faith. And if you want to discover what true spirituality looks like in everyday life, this is the book for you. We'll send you a copy when you support Grow in Grace today with a gift of any amount. And as you give, you'll be helping many others around the country and around the world to grow in grace as well. Just give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. This program is presented by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world